Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nami Nui and welcome. From RNZ National, here's our changing world. You might not think of a Māori hangi as a scientific tool, but it turns out that the hot rocks used to cook the kai also hold a record of the Earth's magnetic field. Alison heads along to Victoria University of Wellington to catch up with PhD student Rimpi Kinga, archaeologist Bruce McFadden, and paleomagnetism expert Gillian Turner. We're geophysicists, so when you say magnetic field, we think about the Earth's magnetic field. And the, the Earth's magnetic field looks to a very good approximation as if you've got a bar magnet, a very strong bar magnet, at the centre of the Earth. And so it creates a field uh, which encompasses the Earth, and uh, as many people know, it protects us from charged particles that come uh, at really high speeds out of the sun. Of course, geophysicists know that the Earth's magnetic field is not a bar magnet at the centre of the Earth, but in the core of the Earth, we've got a tuning cauldron of uh, liquid iron at high temperature uh, and electrical currents in that iron that actually cause the magnetic field. And for us, that's interesting because it means it's dynamic. It's changing with time. And it's those changes over years and centuries and thousands of years uh, that uh, are at the, the heart of this project. So the place where I've come across that change is on topographic maps. And they tell you that you have to, in a sense, reset your compass every year to take account of that change. Yes, yep. That, that's exactly what we're looking at. You, you, you're dead right. What you're looking at there, uh, that the direction of the compass uh, is only one component of the three components that make up the magnetic field. Uh, so the compass moves in a horizontal plane, and that's what we call the declination angle. And it's changing, uh, as you say, you're, you're in, you're out. And at the moment, it's at a quite extreme position where we're about 20 degrees east of north. Uh, but then there's the vertical component that we call the inclination, so that's another angle. Uh, and then, of course, the third component is the strength of the field. And this project involves trying to trace over the last few hundred years, few thousand years, those changes in all three components. OK, so we have good records going back how far? New Zealand's had an observatory for the last hundred years. Those are the most accurate records, obviously. There have been explorers coming to the shores of New Zealand for the last 400 years, if we go back to Abel Tasman, and all those explorers kept records of the direction of the compass, so that's our declination. A little bit later, the dip needle, which gives us the inclination, and a little bit later than that, so the last 200 years, the strength of the field. So those are our direct observations. Prior to 400 years ago, there are no records, direct records of the Earth's magnetic field, other than a few Chinese records. And so we have to resort to natural recordings of the magnetic field. So natural recordings from what kinds of things? Well, any natural material which has become magnetised in the magnetic field. So uh, the simplest, you might think, is a volcanic lava flow. 
which as it cools uh, in place in the magnetic field, records the direction and the strength of the field. Um, a second would be a sediment on the bottom of a, a lake or the seabed, which as the grains fall, they align with the magnetic field and leave you with a record. But what this project is about is uh, an archaeological record in the oven stones or the hangi stones uh, of a Maori hangi, where uh, in the hangi process, they're heated to red or even white heat, which is well above the, the temperature at which they're magnetized. As they cool down in situ, then they gain a record of the magnetic field at the time. And we know that uh, the Maori have been here six or 700 years, uh, so that takes us significantly back before direct records. So before you went and looked at hangi stones, though, from archaeological sites, I imagine, did you have to ground truth this idea, prove that it actually would work? Yes, that was the first part of our project, uh, which was uh, a very exciting. We wanted to, as you say, prove that the stones could record accurately the field. Uh, and so we approached people in the School of Maori Studies uh, here at Victoria University. And that's where I first met Bruce McFadgen and his colleagues in the School of Maori Studies. And uh, with their help, we conducted a, a hangi at Waifatu Marae uh, at Matariki time three and a half years ago. And as a result of that, uh, we proved that the concept worked. And Bruce, were you involved in helping find some of these archaeological hangi sites? Yes, and going down with Rumpy to uh, show where they were, what they looked like, and then she learned how to handle them and she did the measurements. So over here on the bench you've got yeah. a number of stones. Yeah. So talk me through the process. So if we go to any hangi site, uh, any archaeological site, so we have to first excavate the stones from the top surface of the earth then we have to clean them and level the top of the stone with the help of the paste of plaster of Paris and then we mark some orientations on the stone with the help of sun compass and the magnetic needle so these are two marks on the stones for sun compass and uh, magnetic north they help us at calculating the directional data like um, declination and inclination and magnetic field intensity of the stone uh, after doing some experiments in the lab. So getting that orientation yeah. before you move the stone, that's critical, isn't it? We don't move the stones before orientation. So what are the kinds of rocks you've got there? And does it matter that they're different kinds of rocks and are some rocks better than others? Yes. We have sampled uh, volcanic rocks from the North Island and we have some sandstones from the South Island. And they both have difference in the strength of magnetization they have naturally in them and they have acquired. The volcanic rocks are always prefer preferred because they have fine grain structure and strong in magnetization and they are giving us good and reliable data and passing all the tests what we do. Whereas some, some of the sandstones, not all of them, uh, they do not pass any test and they do not give us result at all. So how many sites did you excavate? We have excavated 13 sites for my project. And are these sites that were of a known age, Bruce? Not always, but one of the uh, things we do when we sample the, the hungy stones is to take a sample of um, charcoal for dating, radiocarbon dating, and then we compare the two. 
it's critical to have that control because then we can use the results as part of the uh, what was in effect a calibration curve for paleomag or for archaeomagnetism. So what was the age range of the, the sites that you excavated? They would range between two or three hundred years up to about um, six hundred. So Rimpy, back to you. So once you've got the orientation worked out, you, you can then dig them up? Yes, then we can dig them up and we can bring them into our lab and then we can process by making specimens like this kind of specimen. So you've These got are, a little plug there. Uh, we drill the stones into cylindrical cores of 2.5 uh, centimeter diameter and then cut them into small cylinders of about 2 centimeters depending upon how strong the stone is and magnetization. So once you've got your plug, what do you do with it? That goes in the thermal demagnetizer and we perform demagnetization experiment. And that uh, gives us the inclination and declination recorded by the stone while the time of cooling. And uh, uh, further, uh, the more complex method is to determine paleo intensities. That is the another experiment in heating the stone and cooling in the zero field, then heating the stone and cooling into the known magnetic field. And we test how magnetization has been acquired by the stone and by applying several formulas and then we, we are able to calculate the intensities acquired by the stone on the time of cooling. And did you get some nice clear results, Gillian? As Rimpy's just told you, we have to do some, some quite thorough tests to make sure we understand the magnetization and to uh, verify that the stone has not been moved either during the cooling process or subsequently you know, between the time of the hangi and now. And of course, sometimes we find that uh, they have been moved and sometimes uh, we, we can only use a fraction of the magnetization to give us a result. There's some wastage along the way, but the, the technique is to collect maybe 10 or 12 stones from each site, uh, and uh, I don't think there's a single site that we haven't got uh, a result of some sort from. So, as, as Bruce says, we have some hangies that go right back to what we think is the earliest occupation, um, Great Mercury Island, Fitianga, we have sites that are about 1480 from radiocarbon dates. And we have some which uh, we, we think are very, very recent. So we're building up now a record of the magnetic field changes uh, going right the way through the period of Maori occupation, which is what we set out to do. So we're very happy. So you said earlier on we're 20 degrees east of north at the moment. What was it 600 years ago, can you say? Um, well, declination, the direction of the compass needle, is actually the, the one component which has varied the most. Uh, so when Abel Tasman was here in 1642, uh, it was about 9 degrees uh, east. And if we go back to those very early hangies at about 1400 AD, uh, it was actually to the west, maybe about 5 degrees to uh, the west of north. Uh, so that's a big change, and that allows us to, um, to fit other data onto that curve of change, uh, and that gives us the potential uh, of using this as a dating method uh, as well. Oh, OK, so you can, in a sense, turn the tables. So what's it going to allow you to do, Bruce? It'll allow us to improve the dating in New Zealand archaeology. At the moment, with radiocarbon alone, there are some very big errors Although the dates can be measured to um, a precision of about plus or minus 15, 20 years, when they're calibrated from radiocarbon to calendar years, the errors are actually quite large because of the fluctuations in the calibration curve. 
and um, that, that's, this means that we often get several options of what the, tr the actual date might be. But with the archaeomagnetism, we can refine those, those dates and get a lot more precision in the actual age of, of a site. It um, reduces the uncertainty in radiocarbon, and in turn the radiocarbon helps to reduce the uncertainty in the archaeomag, and we get a much better date. So the declination went from about 5 degrees west of north to 20 degrees east of north. What about the inclination? Did that change? The inclination uh, hasn't changed to the same extent. It's probably steepened by 3 or 4 degrees over that period of time. The strength of the field, as Rimpy said, is a little more difficult to, uh, to determine from our samples. And it's also something that we have less information about because it hasn't been measured uh, for such a long period of time uh, and because our other sources of information, like the lake sediments I mentioned earlier on, uh, don't give us as good a record. But the picture we're beginning to build up is that uh, over the last 400 years there's been relatively little change. But some of those earliest sites are recording something which we're tentatively saying is very interesting because it looks as if the field has gone through some bigger amplitude, more wild changes in strength. And that's something that we're seeing in um, the present-day field in places like the South Atlantic Ocean, where there, there's a big anomaly in the magnetic field there now, which uh, is causing those solar wind particles I talked about earlier uh, to get lower in the atmosphere and are affecting things like satellite systems. And so to maybe get some historical information on these features uh, is, is very interesting to geomagnetists and technology. So in a sense that answers my question that I was going to ask, which was that is this rate of change you've seen here, is that specific to New Zealand? So it varies around the world? It varies around the world because our magnetic field, uh, the changes in our magnetic field, are caused principally by the zone of the Earth's core, which is beneath the southwest Pacific. So this project of ours, you know, which I've been funded by Marsden for for the last four years, uh, is focusing on the southwest Pacific. But the field uh, around the world is changing, but in a, a, a way which is not coherent with the changes here. Uh, and so it's not surprising that you see similar sorts of features occurring at different times in different places around the world. And this new technique that you've made using hangi stones, I, could it be used in other parts of the world if there were other places where they used hot rocks? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the field of archaeomagnetism was really born in Europe and places which are rich in archaeological sites where they've made pottery, where they've made bricks, where they've had kilns all things that the Maori didn't do here. And so uh, that there's a lot of, a wealth of archaeological information on those sorts of materials in other parts of the world. Uh, what's new here is using it on oven stones. All around the world, there have been stones used as heat retainers in cooking processes at various times through history. Uh, and I think the field is probably quite rich in the southwest Pacific. That was geophysicist Gillian Turner, and you also heard from PhD student Rimpy Kinga, both from the physics department at Victoria University. Bruce McFadgen is an archaeologist with the School of Māori Studies, and the magnetised Hungy Stone project is funded by a Marsden grant. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. Check out our webpage for photos and web features.
rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.